All right, Proverbs chapter 10, we're going to continue, and, and uh, we've just got a little bit of time, but let's, uh, let's uh, cruise down through verses, hopefully, 13 through 16. In verses 13 and 14, we're going to see that God is saying that stupid talk gets the beat down. You know what the beat down is, right? Uh, whenever somebody opens their mouth in a wrong way, that can result in, in the beat down. Verse 13 says, in the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Now, this is the Bible. If you're offended at what I say, well, then I'm sorry, you're grinding an ax against God, okay? God says the rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. And so what we're seeing here in verses 13 and 14 is the difference between one who speaks wise words versus one who talks stupid, leading to their needed correction. Correction is the next blank. In other words, what God is saying is some people have to learn the hard way. Hard is your next blank. Proverbs, we'll see this principle over and over again in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 26.3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. A rod for the fool's back. In chapter 22 and verse 15, we find out that whenever new babies are born into our family, you know, as they grow into childhood, we we find out they're foolish. And, And look at what God says. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Uh, the Bible's very clear that the rod of correction delivers your child's soul from hell. The Bible doesn't say to abuse them. It says it teaches discipline. Biblical discipline will save your child's life eternally. This is how they learn. The rod of correction drives foolishness from the child. Uh, In the Miles home, we use the rod of correction. We've had teaching on that from time to time. And before you go getting your nose bent out of joint and uh, getting your feelings all hurt and getting upset, you need to find out what the Bible says about child rearing. Now, my kids know what the Bible says about child rearing, not because they studied it out from their youth, but we showed it to them. It was an example. And so, Sophie, Sam, can you just, if you're willing to take questions about your childhood, would you stand up? Uh, These are grown adults now. But I can't, I can't actually tell you how many times I've lit them up in Jesus' name. That's how this thing works. They're not foolish, and I give glory to God for that. Verse 14, wise men, and again, there's, I'm just giving you an overview. The Bible has a lot to say about it. You're welcome to check out the Sermon Finder. Um, we'll somewhere in the book of Proverbs, I'm trying to pick where we're going to do it. We're actually going to take a little bit of time and talk about um, uh, biblical parenting because there's so much in Proverbs uh, related to that. Verse 14, wise men lay up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. Okay, so there's, again, two types of people. Some people are a storehouse of knowledge. Storehouse is your blank. So if you have some knowledge, they want it. Why? Because they're storing it up. They're wise. Some people store knowledge. So if you have knowledge, they're going to get it because they're collectors. And then if you need wisdom, you can go to them and get it. Why? Because they've stored it up. And the wise, because they have knowledge, they're not just spouting their mouths off all the time. They're not just spouting off about everything that they know. They're not full of pride. 
They give the wisdom as it's needed. A storehouse is for disbursement that's needed. You don't go to the storehouse and raid it for everything. You get what you need in the moment that you need it. That's how a storehouse works. They give the wisdom as needed. They know more, but they're not obnoxious about it. I mean, that's the worst, right? Any topic comes out and then the fool speaks up. Well, actually, and they're quick to spout off whatever they know, whatever the topic. Well, actually, what you need to know is, oh, be quiet. Just would you shut up with that, okay? Now, fools, here it is, fools speak what they think they know, and it's to their, and if you're listening to them, it can be to your ruin as well. The Bible says fools take beatings and they're brought to nothing. The mouth of the foolish is near destruction. At any moment, the phrase is going to come out that's their undoing. They're just always walking that line. So here's what God is telling us tonight. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Chapter 13, verse 3 says, He that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Um, Wow. That's a big statement. You know, the Bible says if you keep your mouth shut, sometimes people will mistake you for being wise. It's pretty cool. Now, if you have to speak, if you have to speak, 1 Peter 3.10 says, you love life, you want to see good days, refrain your tongue from evil and your lips. Don't let them speak guile. Colossians 4.6 says, let your grace or let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how ye ought to answer every man. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. If you're going to talk, Ephesians 4.29 tells you to speak that which is good to the use of edifying. If it's not building somebody up, shut up. There's a good catchphrase. Somebody write that down. Melissa. (laughs) That it may minister grace unto the ears. Melissa's like, I won't do it unless I feel it. Okay, fine. Here's the key, James 1.26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Uh, just a little homework. Check out what your tongue is up to in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. You ought to be terrified of your tongue, what it's capable of. Now, in verses 15 and 16, we see wealth contrasted with poverty. Verse 15 says, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Now, verse 15 is just a simple observation of principle that's evident in mankind if God does not intervene, okay? God does take care of the poor, and sometimes he brings a rich man low. But outside of God moving, here's what will tactically, practically happen. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. In other words, his resources provide protection. That's your next blank. Protection, and if trouble comes knocking, he can buy solutions. How? Ecclesiastes 7.12 says, wisdom is a defense, and so is money. Money is a defense. In Proverbs 14, verse 20, we find out that the rich hath many friends, so if he needs help, he can buy it right? He's, he's got these relationships. People like hanging out with the rich. Hopefully some of it will trickle downhill. And so he's got access to resources. Proverbs 19 verse 4 says the same thing. Wealth maketh many friends. 
You can see an example of this in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 16. Here is a young man who comes into his father's inheritance. He demands it, and then he spends it on riotous living. He spends it on horrors. And so there are people that are willing to help him spend his money, but once he loses everything, he finds himself alone. So wealth maketh many friends. But here's the thing. If you're trusting in money, as your strong city, know that it's vulnerable. Vulnerable is your next blank. You want to be careful where you put your trust because there's another wise man. Okay, so money, right? Wealth is a strong city. Well, a wise man scaleth the city of the mighty and casteth down, casteth down the strength of the confidence thereof. So pay attention to that. If your trust is in your resources, that can be overturned. But more than that, if we talk about a strong defense, your strong city, recognize your own life. If you don't have rule over your own spirit, that's like a city that's broken down. Your your defenses are scalable. They're breakable if you don't have a rule over your own spirit. Uh, you You will end up leaving the gate of your life open and somebody will come in trampling. Beware trusting in riches ahead of or before the Lord. He that trusteth in riches shall fall, chapter 11, verse 28. Verse 18 says, trust in the Lord is actually absolute. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Here it is again. The rich man's wealth is his strong city and as an high wall in his own conceit. Some people are trusting in something that is scalable. It is overthrowable, but... If you get wise and say, the name of the Lord is my defense, you run to it, you'll be safe. The rich are warned in 1 Timothy 6 to not be high-minded or trust in uncertain riches, but in the name of the Lord, but in the living God. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, give us the key. Two things, the Bible says, I have required of thee, deny me them not before I die. And if you're wise, this is where you want to position yourself. If you get to the place where you're so rich, you forget you need God, that's too rich. You don't need to make that much money. You're like, well, I'd like to go through that trial, that test, and find out. Careful. Or if you're so poor, you think God's forsaken you, and it's just you got to make something happen for yourself. These are dangerous extremes. So here is wisdom speaking. Verse 8, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be fool and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? What do I need? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. God's forgot me, so I got I to gotta take care of business. At the end of the day, you have to recognize life has the ability to just steamroll you. It does, man. You, the minute you think you're something, life is going to show you you are not sufficient for all that it can bring to bear on your life. So here's the key. You want to get this down. Don't trust in your strong city, and yet at the same time, right, your wealth is not your strong tower, and yet trouble is always coming, so how are you and I going to be ready? Well, here it is, man. We just keep coming back to this. Ephesians 6, 13 says, wherefore take unto you the whole of God's Word, the armor of God, the whole armor of God. Why? You need to wear the Word from the, the helmet of salvation to the feet. Uh, uh, the, the shoes of the, the preparation of the gospel of peace 
from top to bottom. You need to be clad in the security and the protection and the promises of God's Word that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. In the beginning was the what? Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The name of the Lord is a what? A strong tower. The righteous runneth to it, and they are what? Safe. There is safety in, 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 in staying within the promises of God's Word. Now, again, verse 15 is just an observation about evident principles in mankind, the rich and the poor, outside of God's intervention. Now, when life comes after the poor, where the rich man can buy off judges, they can hire security, they can, they can buy solutions to problems, the poor have nothing that provide for their resiliency, right? They don't have anything that they can throw at a problem, but make no mistake, God's all about the poor. He provides for and He protects the poor. And we'll see this in depth as we go through the book of Proverbs. But here's a warning in chapter 22, verse 22. It says, rob not the poor because he is poor. Neither oppress the afflicted in the gate. Why? Because God's watching. Verse 23 says, for the Lord will please plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoiled them. Whatever you take, what God will take from you is on an order of magnitude greater. It is far worse for the oppressor. So how does the poor make it? Well, God's watching out for him. Yeah, he's watching out for him. He gives him a job. Okay, this is how it works. As a rule of principle, how do you get the needed resources to, to, to be ready for what life is going to throw at you? Verse 16 says, the labor of the righteous tendeth to life. The fruit of the wicked is to sin. Do you see that? How's God provide for the, how does God provide for the poor? He gives them righteous labor. Get a job, you bum. That's how God provides for His people. Righteous labor. Labor is good stewardship. It's a good investment of what you have. You have time, you have talent, you have energy, you have resources. Put it to work so it can bring a return on your investment. And you see that principle in the, in the parable of the good steward. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 20 and 21, you have a steward who gets five talents, he invests them, he goes to work, and he makes five more talents. He doubles the investment, and the Lord calls him a good and faithful servant, and then he entrusts him with more. Uh, you see it again in Luke 16. Uh, what are you trusting in? He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. What are you tracing? I mean, God gives you the opportunity to prove yourself in your work. So also in ministry, in the life of the church, 1 Corinthians 4.2 says we are stewards and we are required, right, it is required of us to be found faithful in our labor before the Lord. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Get to work. Spiritually, we have a field that we're to labor in. And so we want to be found faithful in that. And so in terms of our ability to work, we want to invest that in God's kingdom so that there'll be a return on His investment in our life. Now, in verse 16, I want you to see the, 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 the it's just a grave warning. It's a, it's a great spiritual contrast. The fruit of the wicked is the labor of the righteous tendeth to life. The fruit of the wicked to sin. See, the wicked, what they want leads to their own death. And James 
reveals that in James chapter 1, verse 15. What you want brings you to sin, and when sin's done with you, you're dead. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. So you and your lust get together, has a little sin baby, and when that baby grows up, it murders you. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So get this down in your notes and we'll finish up. Actually, if the worship team can come back, because we're going to trust in his word. That's going to be our prayer. That's going to be our closing prayer. What was it? I have stuck to your word. Is that the name of the song? Huh? Aleph? Is that what? Okay. Who knows it? Raise your hand. Okay. Sophie, really loud. Daleth. What psalm is it? 119. 119. Oh, Daleth. It's Daleth of Psalm 119. Okay. Well, there we go. When, when, uh, when 15 people say it all a little bit out of time, it just sounds like, and, you know, okay. Daleth. I think that's how we need to end. And we're going to make it a prayer, Right? that you don't have to actually change the way you lead us to sing it. Just bring the heat, okay, because we're going to pray. The labor of the righteous tendeth the life. There are, how many are righteous? None are righteous. No, not one. There is one righteous. What was his name? And his finished work, what did that produce for you and I? Life, right? It tended to life. Now, our works, right? Christ's labor produces life. The works of our flesh produce what? Death. Romans 6 sums it up. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, we need to point people to the righteous, don't we? Aren't we all poor? spiritually needy aren't we all spiritually dead so let's do this let's point people to the righteous life giver and for the believer the same thing is true right how we got life that's how we walk in life we don't do it according to the wisdom of our flesh proverbs 4 4 we need to let our heart retain his words we need to keep his commandments and live we don't get saved and then so to the flesh And somehow we're going to take corruption and make it look like life. That never works. We need to live like we came to Christ, by grace through faith in his word. And so we need to cling to his word. We need to keep his commandments and live. And so we can't, can, can we make that the prayer of our heart as we dismiss? Can we all just stand up and with, I mean, bust along singing Daleth. Let's, let's cry out to the Lord And let's declare we're going to retain his words and keep his commandments and live. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship as we dismiss.